Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers. And I'm Andrea Willits. Together, we're disrupting the trance of unworthiness and guiding women to reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Today's episode is about revealing spirit and our different experiences growing up with religion and spirituality and the influencers in our life. Stay tuned for more to be revealed. Hey everyone, Monica and I are here. Actually, I, lo- I love this whole like setup outside here on the porch. I feel like I'm being like fried green tomatoes or something. <laughs> fried green tomatoes. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's like the birds are singing. The... We're on a porch. Somebody going to come out with like a tray of lemonade and sugar fries? Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right. And some fried green tomatoes. Right. So how are we doing today, Monica? Doing good. Been actually very, very, what's the word, like really kind of connected to this whole idea lately of what is spirit. Yeah, and really kind of exploring and unpacking and revealing kind of what's true for me around spirit. I get really curious around how spirituality and spirit show up in other people's lives. And I think because of my upbringing, it's always been a very strong theme. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, right? And we'll have to get into your upbringing because it's fascinating, really. You and I had a very different upbringing. You had religion, right? I'll let you talk about that. Whereas I went to church now and then, went to Sunday school now and then, very rarely, but really was such a non- religious home. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about your upbringing. So I remember my parents were divorced when I was two years old. So I had two homes. And I remember being baptized when I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Wow. By the Episcopalian church. Uh My mom was Episcopalian. And my sister was two years older. She's actually my stepsister. She was baptized too, I think. And, and then our little sister, and then there was kind of like this picnic. And I honestly, I wish my mom was alive. These are the questions I'd love to be able to ask, but like, why? Because we never went to church. My, my mom and my stepdad, you know, and that was the family of nine kids. Right. And that was all of us children's primary home. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, but we never went to church. So why, why was I even baptized? Now my biological father and stepmother, when I would have to visit them every other weekend and visit them in summers, when I was young, they would go to church. It was a congregational church Mm -hmm. and I hated it. Mm -hmm. I would be dropped off walk to Sunday school, never be caught up on the Bible story, what's going on. Always felt if I was called on, I couldn't comment. I didn't know the answer. Like it was just 
another world and it felt it felt like a world that I just didn't belong in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, it's it's interesting where my head went when you said about the baptism. You know, I made up that <laughs> it's fascinating what our minds will tell us, but I made up that your mom did it because there's such a strong kind of like myth that if you're not baptized, you go to hell. <laughs> it's kind of like that even if you don't go to church, your your shortcut kind of way in is at least you are baptized kind of thing. So I just again, I just made that up. I'm raising my hand that she like she was like the very least I could do was baptize these children. Right. 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 Because if, if you really didn't go to church, if you didn't have a, a practice kind of in a religious upbringing, it is curious, right? Like, why would you do it? Well, gosh, now you have me actually thinking about, too, is that. So Stacy was born, the youngest, right? And she was born with Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And so did they decide to do like three for one deal? Like get the re- the lat, the three youngest, because we were the three youngest, yeah, right? Out yeah. of the nine. I'll have to check in with my other siblings to see were they all baptized. Right. There might be right? more there for sure. So anyway... So that's kind of my deal in and out really, but no, I did not have a relationship with the church God. Yeah. Well, and I, I have to say I have a similar experience in that last sentence, right? But I, but I was very opposite from you in that I don't remember my actual baptism. I was an infant in my world, you know, it was all the sacraments, right? It was Roman Catholic, very kind of devout Catholic, Roman Catholic, Irish, and French Canadian upbringing. Uh, my mom being French Canadian, my father being of Irish heritage. And really just from the earliest memory, I was actually fascinated by the story of Jesus. And I was fascinated by all of the biblical, I'm very visual. So for me, it was like every television kind of movie that was about Jesus or the life of Jesus. I was so kind of just wrapped attention. And I loved the storytelling of it. But I think intuitively growing up, I did always know that they were stories, that they, were, that they weren't meant to be literal or that there was messages that kind of were were throughout that were, you know, about kind of the way that we were to behave or, you know, live or there were certainly, I mean, depending on, you know, what any of our listeners kind of out there know about the Bible, I'm sure there's lots of, lots of interpretation, but as a collection, right, of stories and writings and scripture, you know, it's actually like, it's why we still talk about it today, right? It's fascinating. It's there's so many yeah. stories and interpretations. So for me though, I would say that from my earliest experience similar to you, I remember feeling such a hollowness. You know, like in my own understanding, it was you know, we talk about resonance, there was no resonance for me in the church. It was and I actually it's interesting. I remember from my earliest memories, having a real feeling of like watching my mother be in a trance at church almost. For wow. me, for me, it was like what I now call the trance of unworthiness. 
you know, and I, I say that knowing that, oh, gosh, mom, I, you know, if she should ever listen to this, thinking about, you know, my mom is a very spiritual person. She is. But how she expressed it inside the church was aligned with who she was. How I express myself and my spirituality was not aligned with how the Catholic Church kind of as a congregation expresses, right? So where I was constantly feeling that misalignment. Well, I want to, yeah, I'm really curious. I just don't want to miss this piece. When you would see your mom in a trance, you used unworthiness. Yeah. What you as the little girl, what was that? Yeah. So, so when I really started to listen from an early age, because you hear it over and over again as a girl, you can't help but not hear it, is kind of the training ground, the conditioning, you know, that wives are submit to their husbands, yeah. that, you know, it's serve. Absolutely. That, you know, there's all of these messages. And I remember distinctly hearing one of those scripture readings and looking around the church and all of the women, it was like nobody, I was kind of like incensed. I was like, are you kidding me here? Like, do you hear what they're saying? Wow. How old were you? Do you think? Oh God, seven. I don't know. Seven. Wow. Kind of rings for me as true. And that's impressive though. I do have a memory of you telling me that you were dressing up as the president of the United States. So there was something (laughs) at a very young age that you had a sense of, right? Yeah. Well, it was, it was like, I understood that my life as a girl, that my, that things were different for my people, (laughs) you know, that the female, which is what I was born had a place, you know, and that everything outside of the boundary line, the invisible boundary line, let's call it the invisible fence, was off limits to my gender, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think what you're recalling is the story of me announcing, you know, at a cocktail party yes. that I was going to be the next president of the United States. And my brother being like, you, you know, you can't be president, silly, you're a girl. And, you know, and really having it kind of like no one disagreed with him. Yeah. And and I and just feeling like, are you like, what? What do you mean? You know, and really like starting to question. And even I remember even asking my dad, like, Dad, is that true? Like, can I not be president? And my dad was like, it's never happened, you know, kind of thing. And I'm thinking like, there's never been a woman president. Like, why can't a woman be president? And I remember that it quieted me. It quieted me. And what was simmering in the quiet, because I was pissed. Yeah, you're a really gregarious child. I can from your stories I can tell, right? You are already pushing the envelope. Like Well, and I was such a tomboy. Yeah. I really was. I wasn't you know, and and part of this kind of also really set the tone for me around and I never. I mean, it wasn't until I then got into college that I kind of stumbled into feminist studies and found that I could breathe suddenly, right? Like I feel like part of my experience in the world up until that point was really about just noticing where the invisible fence kept showing up for me, right? Because it would show up in the workplace, it would show up in church, it would show up, yeah, you know, and I, and I had such a sense of betrayal, kind of like, you know, it's funny, one of the expressions that we always use is like, mother of God, you know, right. like, why is this happening? But when you stop and think about that statement, it's like, 
Mother of God. Well, and when you go, <laughs> right? Mother of God. Like, it's, if that's like, true, and we'll just say that, you know, that again, going back to the Bible and the elements of the story and stories being passed down, right, through history, that, you know, that there's like, we know that creation, right, that love is born into the world, you know, that we are conceived in love. Okay, now, now let me capture or kind of reframe what I'm saying because what I don't want people to think is like oh everybody is conceived in love no of course there's rape there's all these things that you know but for the creation like when you really think about the creation of a human being what you are essentially talking about is a miracle yes a miracle like that something could be conceived that becomes a human being that is to live in this world as an expression made in the image of God, right? Then, right, if we follow this train of thought, then how could women be any less divine, any less human, any less deserving of an any human is what I'm talking about, any human. And so, you know, when I think again about And this is not, I'm not here to actually, you know, upset anyone. I'm, I'm actually, we're not here to debate. Let's just, right. We're not here to debate. Not at all. In fact, here's the thing I love about my mother and my mother's faith is that it works for her and it's aligned with who she is. And it's a true expression of her in many ways. And it's what she knows and so for me, it was more, here's the difference. It was, it wasn't right for me. And yet I continued the facade because it pleased my parents. Yeah. Because it's, it was my inheritance, so to speak. It's our faith, you know, as a family and to break bonds with that, you know, was no easy task. Right. right. Especially yeah. given kind of the the heritage right. or the depth of it in our DNA. Oh yeah, that's a huge influence, isn't? I mean, that's weighted. I really, really appreciate what you're saying there. I I like the word that you used as far as we inherited it. It was right. It was passed on. It was in your family, right? Like and this is what we believe. Yeah, this is what we do. Right. right, and there's that's a tremendous influencer, right? It's its weight can't be denied. And here's the interesting thing: because because spirituality was not ever offered as like a separate menu item, right? Oh yeah, right. I got really curious about other religions. I remember, I think it was like one of the Judy Bloom books, which, <laughs> you know, if my mom really knew what I was reading, she probably would not have been too keen on it. <laughs> but I think in one of them, like one of the Judy Bloom characters starts going and exploring all these different churches and religions. And I remember feeling so like, like I wanted to do that because I, I was so curious. Like I, I thought, you know, I would see people like I would where I could resonate in church was like the music, right? Or like we would sometimes go to the monastery when we were in Maine, a Franciscan monastery, and just hearing like the chanting and the ritual of it, like those things appealed to me, but I I didn't have other alternatives or models 
to be able to actually kind of explore anything different. And so it became like a place for me to feel very frustrated, very misunderstood Mm -hmm. and very lonely, frankly, because the way that my parents had taught me to pray, almost the recitation of certain prayers also didn't feel authentic to me. Again, not that that's not somebody else's authentic expression, but for me, it did not give voice to an intimate relationship with spirit. Great. I want to jump in here because you used so great where, where you are. I'm kind of wondering why every car in the world has decided to go by since we started the podcast. I know. It's it's perfect, though. It we're, is. All right. We're, good. We're, Hi, everybody. We're sitting on the porch, and yeah. apparently everybody in the neighborhood is like, honk, honk. <laughs> it's just awesome. It's perfect. So what ignites, right, spirit? So my relationship with spirit which is so different than religion for me, right? Mm-hmm. So I spoke to kind of my my experience with religion, and obviously I'm talking about it like it's outside of me. It's out there. Definitely, that's always been my experience. Yeah, religion is not inside of me. No. It is not. When you said the word loneliness, right? Like loneliness is what I believe sparked woke up, gave me, brought me, came through me, was spirit. It happened when I was a very little girl. I mean, I I, I honestly can't even remember being without it. Mm -hmm. And I've told you this story, but it was that I had this white light was like an imaginary friend. Mm -hmm. And how old were you? Oh my gosh. I mean, Monica, honestly, it's like in my first memories. Wow. I love that. And so when I really started playing with it, if you will, feeling it, is that the white light didn't come to me from out there. You see, the white light was in me. I'm, and- I'm sorry. I'm, oh. I'm laughing at my, I'm getting this image of myself as a child being like, I say, is there anybody up there? You know, like, just like so lonely and so kind of like, wow, I I would have given anything to have felt that. Right? Yes. Because I was really lonely at times. You wouldn't think it having eight siblings, a very active family. But I was. I was lonely. And I would literally have this white light and it would grow in me and I would then literally take it using my imagination and wrap it around me like Mm. a cloak. Mm -hmm. And it would happen when I was, you know, in elementary school. And what would happen when you would wrap it around you? I'd feel comfort. Wow. I'd feel love. Yeah. You'd feel love. I have this one image of myself. I was being made fun of and these kids were pulling on me literally on the playground and I was wearing this smock with buttons all the way down the front. I remember it was peach and pink, like a a checkered, like gingham, Mm -hmm. soft. And it had my initials on the pocket. Oh my God, I would have killed for that too. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We were apparently born in the wrong family. Right? Oh my gosh. Anyway, and so they were pulling on me. One was on one arm and one was on the other. And it popped 
the buttons. Oh, God. And I was humiliated and embarrassed, right? Because yeah. I, I had a slip on and I remember just running away and I went into one of those on the playgrounds, you know, those concrete tunnels? Yes. And I crawled inside and immediately that like white light came out of me like and just wrapped itself around me and just held me fascinating yeah and I boy if I ever needed my white light friend that it was in that you know I just felt I felt humiliated embarrassed alone and so it would kind of envelop you and you would it was like a healing soothing comforting it would comfort me yeah right and so as the years went on, I figured out that I could take the white light and put it around anyone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, so I wouldn't speak to it. Right. You know, I kept it. What? That's normal. Right? Come on now. <laughs> right. But and it's been with me and it still is. So, well, I remember, you know, in pretty early in our conversations, you telling me about that and telling me often since then you know, that that's always been a part of your earliest memories. It's fascinating, right? Because that seems to me as, you know, your first experience of spirit. It was. Yeah. It was. As I started to understand, right, be able to literally, you know, in my intellectual ability process and see it as like, oh my gosh, you know, this is spirit. Like this is, this is God Mm, mm -hmm. and God's in me. Mm -hmm. And God is not the dude with the beard up in the clouds looking down, which is really the image I had when I would go to that church. And I would always feel very confused by that. Right. And the dude in the beard up in the clouds was scary to me. It's all, it's so interesting to me how we all grew up thinking there was a dude in the clouds with a beard, right? Like, is that some like collective fugue state or something? But it's in all the pictures. Well, okay. Yeah, it is. It's in like, it's, it's all the imagery, the the paintings. Yeah. Right. 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 It's interesting that we, that we have personified God, Right that actually the same source energy that creates all things how how arrogant that that we should think it would be human right I like know. or or in the image but yet that's also kind of what the bible says and that's so right we do you know tend to kind of use that as our reference point yeah what I think is really interesting that you're talking about too though is kind of this personification of god as male there it is Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's really interesting, especially as we continue to really kind of bump into what has surfaced. Now, feminism, right, has been alive and well for a while now. And in fact, a lot of people would call what's been going on like the second or third wave, you know, big kind of wave of feminism. And so and just to just to talk to that, isn't it interesting? Like the second or third wave of feminism, like the feminine energy, like an awakening, a movement. A movement. I would say right? I don't even know if people are talking about it energetically yet. No, but the movement that we're even needing to have a movement. 
Well, it's right. It's just fascinating to me. It is fascinating. You know, and what's more fascinating is that that's also something I really recognized at a very early age was, and this is this is problematic for women. I think it's problematic for women, but I don't think they recognize it as a problem until they see it and then they don't unsee it. But it's this absence, actually, of any female deities in the church or, you know, certainly not in my church, in leadership positions, in, you know, all of kind of the ways in which we see men, whether it's in the history books, the Bibles, right? And as we've, in our in feminist studies anyway, of course, we know that there were women who were responsible for like a great number of, you know, developments and they were not mentioned. Right. 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 Now, the interesting piece kind of about understanding or accessing spirituality is also it kind of gets into this conversation of like, well, what is spirituality? Like, what is it like? How would you how would you put language to it? What does it look like? How is it modeled, right? And that's where it becomes a really interesting conversation that is unique to each and every one of us because each of us has a birthright to actually discover that for ourselves and how we express that in the world. Yes, absolutely, right? And it's interesting because... Again, in my family, I would say there's some of us that are deeply spiritual. You know, I claim it, I own it, and I live from it now. Mm -hmm. And it's in everything because it's in my being. Give me an example. It's when I wake up and I'm in gratitude. Ah, yeah. So it's, it's almost like connecting immediately to like almost like a practice that grounds you back or connects you back to kind of that yeah spiritual understanding that your life is sourced by something yes it's it's activated and being and unfolding and, and being revealed yeah and it's an energy monica like it's it's truly an energy mm. yeah it's it's interesting to really sit here for a moment and really recognize it, like where I am with spirit and my relationship with my own spirituality, because I'm really happy to be able to say, I can sit here and say, it is, it's in my being. Mm -hmm. And so when I wake up, it's in my being. So I'm waking up and there's the gratitude. I could also be waking up with an aching heart with something that may be going on in my life. And the first thing I do is go to spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the first place I go mm-hmm. for some relief mm-hmm. or some some grounding or a handle of something, right? And, and so what does that look like for you? And I ask because I think sometimes like our listeners are like, like, what does she mean? Yeah, yeah. So for me, it's literally lighting the candle because the candle for me is a symbol of of spirit, of light, yeah, I, you know what? I do that too. I'm very, part of my ritual in the morning is like lighting the candle as a, almost like as a, as a way to bring in my connection with spirit yeah, yeah. and bring me present. Cause that's, that's another kind of interesting thing about this. There's a presence 
Yeah. With spirit. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so, and I think the other thing that you're asking about and pointing to as well is ritual. Ceremony. Yeah. So, right, it, it is lighting the candle. Well, it's, 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 there's an intentionality to it. Yes. There's actually like a longing to commune with spirit on some level in order to either greet the day or celebrate the day or put the day to rest, right? That actually ritual and rhythm and ceremony are such a big part of how we move in the world and how we can move in the world. And here's the cool thing about ritual and ceremony, especially if you're someone who, you know, isn't part of the church is that one of the bigger myths too. And there, I mean, sure, there is uh there are very powerful ceremonies, right? That you, that anybody can learn about that are kind of known ceremonies. And then there's also like, you know, actually just doing what feels right for you in terms of creating ceremony, literally, because like there's no right way or wrong way, right? No, that there's no right way or wrong way. And actually like we, we have the ability to kind of find that reference point inside of ourselves. But it's interesting because I do believe like you, it doesn't reside out there that there's a residence inside. Yeah. And it's a reconnecting and a reclaiming that happens kind of on a daily basis in order to presence it. Yeah. Yeah. Water's another place. I take a lot of baths and I have some of my greatest conversations with God in the bathtub. Well, and I, I gotta, yeah. you know, some people may just be shaking their heads going, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? Well, they might be shaking their heads and saying, yeah, that's where I have some of my greatest, most brilliant revelations. Well, people guess where those come from? Spirit. Right. Yeah. Those come, you know, here's, here's the cool thing about each of us. We're all, you know, have this like divinity and this unique yes. brilliance inside. And trust me, it's not your ego coming up with the brilliant pieces. It's just not. You know, there's there's an inspiration that comes if you're willing to receive it and it will inform you and it will be brilliant. Yeah. And so some of us in our most brilliant, creative moments are in community with spirit in those moments. We may not be able to put language around it. But it's kind of like, oh, my God, like, how did I how did I do that? Like, and then the, the next thing we think is, I hope I can continue this fraud for a while. Right. Right. Because right. we actually sometimes it's almost like, yes, yes, it's you and your unique brilliance and how it comes through and is expressed through you. But there's also other unbelievable like energies available to us if we're willing to, you know, kind of just allow us ourselves to be informed. Well, I it's so interesting because there's a couple of thoughts going through my head right now. But what you're speaking to around this, like, creativity, right? And there's a great Netflix documentary, and I'm not going to get the name, but it's it is all about creativity. Mm. Okay. Mm hmm. And this one brilliant artist said something that really was profound to me. And he said, if you think about it, there is not one original 
creation out there. There is not one, like, original invention. We're talking about man-made, though. Yeah, well, yeah, coming yeah. from, from yeah. self. Right. Anything that's created. Yes, anything. Yes. Because he said, I am influenced by an artist from a thousand years ago. Right. Which right. then gets translated. Everything you see, everything you read, everything you right, experience. Right, it comes through you, and then you might innovate it or you may exactly and I I really like followed that rabbit hole and I thought damn Mm -hmm. it's so true yeah well and it's also kind of this idea of like you can you can also like either create or imitate right like because as creative beings as you know if I were to not take in any outside influences and just paint Right. That that actually is a creative process that may produce a piece the world has never seen. Right. So in that space, creation, right, is possible. And it's this idea, though, that we can either create or imitate and that or it's. Yeah. And and that and that it's all I think, too, the cool thing is we we get to iterate. You know, and we're iterative in our nature as beings, right? We we get to kind of like consume something and kind of evolve in the consumption of it. That's right. right. And so that's what I'm calling like an iterative process, right? I'm not going to be the same Monica I was yesterday. And actually, it's been proven that we change too every whatever days on a cellular level. So exactly. it is really interesting. There's kind of like evolution all around us. It, it mimics in nature. It mimics in our biology. Why wouldn't it mimic in our consciousness, in our understanding of spirit or what's possible? Exactly. Right? Like, there's a constant, and this is why we call it the Revelation Project. Well, one of many reasons is that life is constantly revealing itself to us and that all we have to do is stop living in certainty because there's no life there. There isn't. It's so true, you know, and so what would you say spirit is for you? There's an energetic for me. It's got an energy to it. Like, and I, and I would say, ultimately, I understand spirit as, as love. Like, I understand it as, and I think, again, because I was so acutely aware of my own suffering growing up, my access to love was thwarted for a long, long time. And, and it wasn't until my life fell apart that I had to kind of almost lose my life in order to choose my life and then mm. start to actually imagine a different life. Yeah, so I just have to, for our audience... Monica comes out with these little zingers now and then, and I always am like, pause. (laughs) So (laughs) what you said was I had to almost lose my life to to choose choose my life. Yes. That's a, you know, wow, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like just the way it was. Like, Like kind of like there was no escape from it. Like just choose it, Monica. Like, just as it is. And I think I had been actually running from it my whole life. Mm. 
Wow. It's like I had been running from the life I got from day one. And so it was like what <laughs> what you resist persists. It's so true, isn't and it? And until it almost killed me. Yeah. And then it was like finally in the final surrender, it was like, oh, my God, like, look what's here when I'm no longer certain that my life is shit. So what was your oath at that moment? I'm thinking of a particular time for you. Like you actually spoke to it in a previous podcast, but it was so compelling to me when you were in that shower and see bath shower. That's big for people, but as are all of the elements, you know what I mean? So we can have another podcast on that. Yeah. But anyway, I don't want to lose this because I remember you sharing about that and that there, it literally became like this oath to yourself or to spirit or with spirit that yeah right it was I think what I was talking about was that Glennon Doyle Melton for those of you that have not read Love Warrior oh god I just loved that story and I love her yeah it was amazing her things so much but and her struggle right with spirit but she calls it the god of the bathroom floor yeah actually mine happened in a bathroom too so I'm always kind of like wow it's so interesting (laughs) soul sisters and You know, I I think it was actually an invitation. It was finally like, okay, like, I want to know, like, it was almost like reveal to me what it is that I am here for. That was, it was like my first understanding of prayer in that moment. It was, oh, there it is. It was because see, I couldn't pray in the way that I had been taught. And it finally, it was by almost losing my life, like I said, and then choosing my life that prayer came in. Oh, this is the way you pray. It's like, it's literally, it's like an invitation. It's imagination. That was the thing, you know, and it actually came in when I reconnected to myself and was having an unbelievable moment of grief, which is where the feeling came in. (laughs) And the feeling without feeling... Here's the interesting part, because we're taught not to feel. And this is very dangerous. And it's dangerous because when we lose our access to feeling, we lose our access to imagination. And when we lose our imagination, we cannot create. Well, we cannot dream. And if we cannot dream, we cannot create a different reality than the one we have. Okay? So if all we can ever see is the reality we have and we stop and we can't choose that reality, right? So it's kind of like it's counterproductive because it's like in order to get there, you have to be willing to choose it as it is in its all of its ugliness, whatever the ugliness is. And let's let's just face it, for any of our listeners out there, we all have an ugly part. We all do. Yes, it's we do. not. There is nobody who has ever lived that does not have a deep, dark shadow side. It's part of the duality of being human. Yeah. And it's part of the multidimensionality to and being it's human. It's needed. It's isn't needed. It? And it's needed to create contrast. Yeah. And contrast is important. And polarity is important because it creates tension. And inside of tension is what creativity is, it lives there. I love that, right? Yes. Yes. I love that. Like without light, I mean, without darkness, we're not going to have light. We can't even see light. I mean, think about how profound that is, right? In that. 
Well, exactly. We can't even see light without the darkness. And so this is kind of interesting because, again, we were talking before about how nature and the cosmos, it mimics us on a micro level and on a macro level. Okay. And so what we're seeing out there is actually available for us to see inside of ourselves. So this is what I also want to kind of point to is that you cannot accept all of your divinity, all of your you, your unique brilliance, your unique brilliance. You cannot see it, conceive it or accept it until you actually also simultaneously, I don't know if it needs to be simultaneously, but it needs to happen that you also accept and embrace the shadow and dark side and own it. Not like you have to be it, but look at it and feel and feel it. Right. And know that it's actually there in order to show you contrast Mm -hmm. so that you can create. So, yeah. So here's the cool thing about also. So spirit, by the way, right, is in, I think, all of those steps, if I were to try to put them in a container. But right, like dreaming, Mm. spirit right? Is all over dreaming. Well, right. Because if you disconnect from spirit, you disconnect from self. Yeah. It's actually really that simple. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, because we are spiritual beings, we are are spiritual beings having a human experience. It's not the other way around. We're having a human experience here, but we are spiritual beings. Yeah. And if you are open to it, or if you are open to inviting it, it will show up and it will show you exactly what you're ready to see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It will reveal exactly what you're ready to see. And as you keep seeing and becoming more comfortable with the revelations that come, you will start to see that you will get more comfortable with it and you will get back into this whole idea that I'm talking about, which is about kind of the act of, creating or some people call it manifesting right it's like you know a lot of people are like mystified by this whole kind of like vibrational kind of Abraham Hicks or you know like I have to admit for my own self I think that there's some of the language doesn't land for me so how I interpret it is more of like through that logical kind of brain that I have right which I know for me is both a blessing and a curse at times, because oftentimes, and this is, I'm sure true for many of our listeners, I use it to bypass my heart. And I've used it as a way to intellectualize my feelings versus feel my feelings. What do you use? My brain. Bypass. Well, there's ego. Okay, okay, but I'm not actually talking about ego in this. Okay, so so explain that to me. Yeah, I'm not convinced it's not your brain. I mean, ego. So, yeah, let's go there. Just Yeah. So in other words, when I am resisting feeling something, right, like how it used to be for me was I had cut off from my feelings because my circumstances growing up, my feelings were too much. Too painful. Well, not only were they too painful, they were too much for others around me. Oh, you know, and so that got shut down over and okay, over and over again. That's a good distinction. So not only did I get shamed for having my feelings, but then my because of the circumstances, my feelings became so painful 
that I disconnected from being able to feel them and I would numb out, right? I would numb out any way I could, whether it was, and so only the big kind of kahunas would get through kind of the wall that I had built, right? Like, I would call like a big kahuna. This is actually funny. I'm like, actually like, really? <laughs> like Little House in the Prairie. Like I could feel something when I watched like something happen. But but because it wasn't happening to me, right? It, it felt a little bit different. But that was my only access, right? Like to feeling emotion. Totally And that relate. was okay, even though I would get laughed at. But that was okay. Where, you know... In order to, as an adult, when I was not, when I was still completely numbed out, and we're talking in my 20s and even well into my 30s, what I would do when something would happen is I would try to make sense of it with my logic. I would try to make sense of it and put it in a compartment so that I could make it make sense versus have to feel it. And the thing about logic is it can be helpful until it's not. We need our feelings. And it, it's so sad to me that we're taught to disconnect from our feelings because our, our feelings are the inner GPS. And they're how we create that literally the taste, touch, you know, see elements of our being, the sensual nature of who we are it's because we're creators and so in order to create we must be informed and how we get our information is through those senses yeah and that then informs our unique brilliance which is where we iterate from you see or create from and so if I've cut off from that feeling center then that means I can no longer dream. And in fact, a lot of women talk about the fact that they can't visualize or they can't dream or that they're not great at it. Right. And, And that's common. So for anybody out there and for those of you that are great visualizers, awesome, because that's a gift to to have kind of come through the patriarchy, you know, and still kind of be able to dream and visualize woo you like yeah they've broken through that ceiling yeah yeah absolutely and now they're just in air like it's expansive um yeah it's like I I get a real image with that so and so the ego for me though is more about identity and clinging on to identity and usually an identity that serves us until it doesn't anymore like we almost use the ego to survive yeah, it's it's interesting. So I would add to that that I think ego attaches to what is safe. Oh yeah. And what isn't. What is the should and what is the should not. It permeates into these different lands. Of a human's existence, right? Well, we actually use the ego or we use logic to bypass feelings. Yeah. To bypass. But I think logic and ego are not the same. No, I agree. Right? They're not. So, so we need logic. Logic right. is great. And ego can... We need ego to an extent too, but it's not helpful after a certain point. Yeah, I have true on that one of is where ego is helpful. You know, it's it's like in the coaching world, right? When we work with a, a saboteur, you know, in my training with CTI, Coaches Training Institute, which you're trained there as well. I love how 
it was explained in that with the saboteur, ego is getting in the way and ego is thinking that it's protecting us when we think about daring to do something that right. is of the dreaming, right? And so it's like, oh, you better not do that. It's not safe for you to do that. You could get hurt. You could lose a lot of money. People might not like you. You don't want to fail, right? Like egos, they're trying to help you save face in a sense, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you look at it from that standpoint and it's like, no, actually, you know what, ego, I've got this one. I really don't need you here. And we're going to send it off yes. to go chip ice in Alaska. Yeah, but the difference here, Andrea, is that you're distinguishing something as an ego that then has kind of these multiple aspects to it. But if there are people out there that, you know, are are actually not familiar with this work, to say the ego, right? The ego is... It, it does have multi-dimensions like you're talking about. Like it, it serves as kind of the identity of us, right? And, and unfortunately, it keeps us in a comfort. And I say comfort Absolutely. kind of in a way like it's really not serving us at all to no. be comfortable. In fact, comfort is killing us. Right. Because it's actually keeping us from becoming who we're meant to be. Well, there's no imagination there. No. And ego keeps trying to remind us who we are even like who we aren't, which isn't true because we're always becoming. So it's helpful to know where ego stops being of service to us and really becomes a hindrance to our creative power and really also can stand in the way sometimes between us and our access to spirit. Absolutely. Especially if our identity is wrapped up in what my mother or father think of me if I if I decide not to be Catholic, you see. Exactly. Yeah. So so it's really once you start seeing how the ego works, you kind of can't unsee it, which is a good thing because all of those voices in your head are elements of your ego. They're not who you are. Exactly. Your ego. I really believe that. Yeah. And so it's really about starting to have a relationship with life that bypasses the ego yes. or is or sufficiently bypasses it and practices this idea of kind of meeting life on life's terms. And on our terms, right? Well, but here's the interesting thing. Our terms are life's terms. Because life is is love. Like, that's really what's wanting to happen. Life is creation. It's love, okay? And so we, this is this piece that I think is so hard for people to understand. The divinity of us is inside, okay? And we were conceived in love, from a source, like whatever you call it, okay? So I'm going to call it love. And I'm going to say that how it shows up for me is as a vibratory or a vibrational energy. Yeah. And so it's interesting, like we posted in our Facebook group today, we have a, a class called Loving Yourself Well. And today we posted this, this video of this little boy who had survived cancer. And of course, he was on 
I think it was America's Got Talent. Yes, yes, okay. yeah. I don't, I, know, I always mix those up. American Idol, American Got Talent. And and he was talking about his battle with like I think it was leukemia. Yes. And mm-hmm. his mom was there with him, and he just had such a hard life. He had been bullied for the cancer from age four. I think when he was on stage playing the violin, he was how old? Ten, maybe. Yeah, like he was still a little guy, but like oh my god, he he took that hatred or that. Yeah, that victimization, bullying, right? that experience yeah. and that sickness. And what he did was he used, he, he kind of gravitated toward the violin and then he used the violin as an instrument to access love. Yeah, or, well, and he put his love into through it. that violin, which then had access to all of us, right? I well, love well, right. And so and so what he did was when he played in the video, what we wanted our audience to do was kind of notice when the vibration of love showed up in us, because there's a very, very specific moment that happens when he starts playing that you feel an immediate vibration that then explodes into love. There's Seriously. a second, there's then a second vibratory energy that comes in. It's like a crescendo and then yes. a crescendo. And that vibration is love. Cause there are a lot of people out there that are like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, what is it? What does it feel like? That would be it. Like when you notice your body go into this, <gasps> right? Like it wants to breathe. Right. And because there's something that is so inspiring and so powerful. You're, that you're so seeing. moved. You're so viscerally moved. I mean, I was weeping watching it. Yeah, I was. And yes. I think I told you. So Monica posted this and she asked all of us to just notice what would come up. Right. And literally, you know, so I practiced that and and it was really interesting to track myself yeah. Where I was first, definitely the ego was there, by the way. I was like, oh, well, I was kind of looking at the, f- I was right. I was looking at, you know, the judges and the crowd. And then this boy comes out and then he tells a story. And then, of course, I'm hooked on the bullying and perplexed. Like, how could that happen? And what could teachers and families do differently? Right. And then like, right, I was just in my own little story about it. And then this kid starts to play. Yeah. And, and it was transformative. It was transform. Everything fell away. Yeah. All the story, all the judgment, all like, and I kept watching and I was weeping. I was literally weeping. And I know what you're talking about, about when it goes into the, the next like crescendo phase of this piece of music where the vibration is risen even, even higher. higher. Like a plus energy. Exactly. Which, you know, in music, that's how it's written and designed, which is so brilliant, right? Because it's all about the vibration. Mm -hmm. And so it did its job. But really, what did the job was this boy channeling love through his violin, which has tremendous vibration, by the way. It's a string instrument, right? And then amplifying it out into the audience. And it was like, it literally, you saw the audience just kind of like, nobody can stay seated in that energy because it is, it literally is essential energy. Yes, yes. It's, It's energy of evolution. It's the energy of creation. It's the energy of imagination. It's literally like it's transformational. So when people say the spirit, 
moved through us. The yes, spirit and there moved it is. through me. There it is. That's spirit, folks. That is spirit. Yes. Right? And so again, too, you can also feel spirit in subtleties, in yes. the teeniest little tiny flower i mean literally or in lighting a candle right yes just to bring us full circle yes back back to nature spirit is everywhere and it's and what happens because we have spirit in us is we know it when we see it and it starts to kind of like resonate it's literally like and we feel it we feel it and it's also for those of you who are thinking you know as you're I don't know how you're listening to this, driving it or whatever, but here's but here's what I want to offer is that it doesn't matter if like, you know, Abraham Hicks, the law of attraction, any of that really makes any sense. What there is to you, like in a logical way, right? Yeah. It's more about looking into yourself and checking in with yourself and saying, am I feeling right? Am I feeling my life? Because if you're not feeling your life, you're actually not going to be able to create and innovate your life, right? You're not going to be able to iterate your life. You're not going to be able to. And so here's what I want to offer is figuring out a way to feel your feelings is the gift of this podcast, whatever that looks like for you, because each of you can find your way to feel your feelings, but it's about being able to access your feelings that's going to give way to you actually then being able to imagine a different life if you don't love the one you're in. Yeah. And it's by imagining a different life and actually kind of beginning to believe that it's possible that you will now be inside of an energy called possibility and you will start to actually attract your new life toward you. And that may sound really out there right now, and that's okay. But really what the Revelation Project does is removes all your barriers between love and you and all of the lies you've ever been told that have kept you from love. Because love is the highest vibrational energy. Right. And that's what we want you to get is that we want you to get that you are love. Yeah, you actually as a human being are love, but you have to feel you have to feel the love. Yeah, you have to let the love in. Yeah, or let the love out. Mm-hmm. Either way, <laughs> right? because it's, it's a two way street. It's, it's actually a giving and receiving. It it's is again, it's that duality. It's the polarity. It's the tension. You need the both. You need it. Yeah. It's yeah. a two way street. So, wow. Holy smokes. Literally, holy smokes, right? <laughs> I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it's like uh, spirit part one. Yeah, oh my gosh. right? And I'm sure there'll be a part two, part three, part four, and on and on. So there's a lot to chew on today. And more to be revealed. Yeah, we thank you for listening. And consider what spirit is to you. Thanks, everyone. In celebration of our podcast launch, Andrea and I would like to extend a special offer for $100 off our Loving Yourself Well e-course. Please go to jointherevelation.com and enter podcast 100 at the checkout. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.